Hello everybody. I can't quite believe you're all in here on this beautiful sunny day, but I'm so glad you are. I'm Bryony Hanson. I'm Director of Film for the British Council. It's my absolute pleasure to be here this afternoon. Um, I know that many of you have had multiple sessions in this long weekend um, and uh, you've heard a lot about the kind of ins and outs of how the film industry is put together and you are either filmmakers yourselves, presumably towards the beginning of your career, or your film fans. And I am delighted to tell you that we have saved the absolute best till last. <laughs> um, we are going to get an hour or so to hear about the making of, of the film that I am unashamedly going to say is my hit of the year last year, uh, the film Wild Rose. And we're going to be joined by George Steele, who's the DOP, Nicole Taylor, who's the screenwriter. Oh, now you can hear me. Uh, and Tom Harper, who's the wonderful director. So without further ado, please meet our guests for today's panel. Thank you so much for joining us. So we've got about an hour, and, um, and I will uh, kick things off and try and get through to the sort of easy questions, and then it's absolutely over to you. And you are free to ask anything, I think. Uh, and you don't have to stick to this particular film. Um, I, I think probably you've heard a lot during this weekend, so there may be things that um, you're prompted to ask these, these three particularly experienced um, panellists about. But um, let's start back at the beginning, and I'm assuming that we're starting with you, Nicole. Uh, talk us through where this film, and particularly where this character, came from. Um, Wild Rose came from one place, which is my obsession with country music and the relationship that I've had with country music since I was 12 years old, which is not completely unlike Rosalind's, someone who's quite emotionally obtuse, who has a lot of feelings and can feel pure catharsis through country music. So. I really wanted to write about country music. I'm from Glasgow myself, so I was always going to write about Glasgow. I can't stop writing about Glasgow. But I suppose it didn't come, this is me sort of um, retroactively kind of explaining where it comes from. It really just comes from that character. She just popped into my head, fully formed, like good 10 or so years ago, chatting away. And the stuff that she was saying from the get go kind of made it in, into the script. You know, I had a million other problems with it, but in terms of just pure where it comes from, just it's that girl. I just knew everything about her from the beginning. And when you say popped into your head, she wasn't, you know, someone you heard on the bus or uh, somebody you went to see on stage or she literally just popped into your head? Yeah, I mean, she's not consciously, she's certainly not any one person. She's not even consciously any number of people mm -hmm. as a hybrid, but she is like pure Glasgow. There's something in her spirit that is very much the kind of women I know from from Glasgow, mm -hmm. yeah. And the first sort of iteration of her, you chucked her down on screen. What was she? A series of, you know, to what extent did she have a narrative at that point? Oh God, she didn't. I didn't know what to do with her. I just knew what she wanted. I knew what her circumstances were. I knew she was self-destructive. I knew she had good chat. Uh -huh. um, I also didn't have a bloody clue how to write a film. So that was a thing. <laughs> I'd only written like two episodes of TV. So didn't really know what I was doing. but. I found her so compelling that I just kept trying to figure it out and kept trying to figure it out. And then you get put with one producer, then somebody else options it, and then you just sort of sort of poing around. But over the years, she just her and her world just grew in my head. So it, eventually I did get to the point where I knew what her story was as well as what her character And was she was. a hard sell at the beginning? I mean was the I project think I a, was hard a hard sell? sell. <laughs> <laughs> because I think 
I think country music was a hard sell. Right. I think that I'd written like two episodes of TV. I rocked up to meetings in like a cowboy shirt because that's what I used to wear before I was eight and a half months pregnant. Um, <laughs> and like I was passionate about it and people thought that's, that's interesting, a bit weird, mm -hmm. but do we need to film about a girl from Glasgow who loves country music? Mm -hmm. And do you know, now country's really quite popular and now I think... You yes, know, look what you did. <laughs> material by women, you know, you don't get such a kind of, oh, what, yeah. <laughs> as, you, as you used to. But I think 10 years ago, it was a bit like, well, this girl's kind of interesting because she's really, really passionate, but she's never to film. And why is she wearing, why is she dressed up as her pitch? <laughs> and it, definitely, it definitely had. Like, I remember even like, maybe not 10 years ago, but a long time before I ever read the script, I had at least two people, different people say to me, oh, Nicole's got a great idea about a Glaswegian singer that wants to be a, a country, that wants to be a country singer. So I, I like definitely got go. the spark of the idea and your kind of like your world for it was definitely immediately connected with people, mm -hmm. even, even if that was just on a small personal level to begin with. Okay. But I think it definitely, there was always magic in it. Mm -hmm. And just go back to something you said about you, you'd only just ever written for TV at that point. I mean, this is actually all three of you have sort of zipped between film and TV. Um, quite comfortably by the look of it. Um, to what extent is it different the way that you approach this project together than it would have been if you had been making this for TV? And could this have been a TV idea? I'm sure it could have been a TV idea. Um, I love writing television. I never um, got into writing television with a view to, oh, I want to be a film filmmaker kind mm -hmm. of thing. Um, but I just knew this was a film. And yeah. I just, I had to go for it as a film. Now I feel like there's no difference in terms of the pure craft between mm. television writing and film writing. But, you know, 10 years ago, film was still quite up itself and looked down at TV. And that was definitely true mm -hmm. then in a way that it's not true is that, now. Is that really true, though? It's different? The, the, the craft of writing is different for one, from one and the other? Oh, no, I didn't. No. I, I'm saying it's not. Oh, it's not I don't okay. think it is, no. Um, I think... It helped that I had written The C Word for BBC One, which was um, a 90-minute single drama. So mm -hmm. I understood that form eventually yeah. before I was writing what was then called country music. But I don't find the process of writing it particularly different, except that in TV, script editors are much more involved. Mm -hmm and different type of personalities and all that kind of thing. I'm interested in what you guys Yeah, I mean, does, does the same apply to you? I mean, how, you know, to, how differently do you, is it a different side of your head for whichever discipline you're working in? Um, I, I think it's pretty mm. similar. I think there are subtle differences, but not, not intrinsic to the way you operate on a day-to-day -day basis. But there are, I'd say there is subtle differences. Yeah, in TV, you've just got so much more, um, I think it is me. Uh, TV, you've got so much more you've got to uh, uh, generate. So normally, you're do, you know, you're doing, as a cameraman, you're doing more than one episode, so you have all those scripts in your head and you're thinking about this and you're talking about that, and there's a lot less concentration and, con and, and in all honesty, distillation of sort of ideas of camera to, to screen. And things become, uh, so I think there is a difference, yes, mm -hmm. you know, you, because you, you've just got to shoot so many more scenes. Mm -hmm. So it's harder to, uh, it's harder to uh, apply that to everything through a series, for instance, if you're doing a whole mm -hmm. thing. What, because, yeah. because of the time pressure? Because of time pressure, yeah. Because you shoot a lot quicker 
and you're you know you're expected to shoot up to you know five pages a day as opposed to uh, not saying that on wild roads we shot quite a high page count yeah and yeah um rewind a bit so nicole had been put, putting her character and you know sort of t slightly touting it around uh, at which point did um Faye come on board and, and was she on board before Tom was on board? Um, somebody optioned it, then the option lapsed, then Alison Owen is a huge country fan, she oh, snapped fuck. up, Faye got involved, when Faye started um, her own company she took it with her and somehow as soon as me and Faye were like together that was just an amazing match mm -hmm. and then years later Faye mentioned that Tom might be interested but I, by that point it'd been so long and I didn't want to get my hopes up. Um, so I just like didn't want to even have a meeting with him in uh -huh. case it created the expectation that he would direct it because I, I just knew that it was going to be it was going to be the right guy, but I just didn't want to be turned down. I, I was nervous about meeting you in case you thought I was the right guy. <laughs> <laughs> and what were you looking for at that point? I mean, you must—you had done quite a lot of TV at that point. I wasn't looking for this, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and what turned you onto it? Why, why did you take it? It was just so good. It yeah. was, you, I, was, I was actually doing a film that we have just finished making mm -hmm. called The Aeronauts, and that was taking longer than I thought. And um, But that wasn't it. it, it the this, this script came along, and I just... I think from like page one, I was just I adored the writing, and from page two, I adored the character, and then it, that that just got better more and more as I went through the script. And sometimes you just—it's very very rare that I read a script where I'm just like, I, I would, would would love to tell this story, and mm -hmm. not only that, but I think I know a way to tell this story. Mm -hmm. um, and so when in those rare instances that they come along, I, you just have to seize them. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what. That's what fortunate. I was fortunate enough that Nicole uh, and Faye were um, open to including me in their uh, their journey. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. And the film is a very different tone. You alluded to it just there, but very different tone to the projects that both of you had have done up till now. I mean, I mean, a, neither of you have touched a musical, I don't think. Um, but also, you know, you're known for Three Girls. You know, the Scouting book was very, you know, hard hitting this is a very different flavor would you say uh yes and no um i mean i'm always drawn to many different stories you know like i love all sorts of different films and i think i'm drawn to telling stories as wide as i as widely as i am to hearing stories mm -hmm. so it's never really a question for me it's never a question of genre or it always starts with the story and the characters and yes, certainly the, the tone is, is different in some ways, but I, I think it's a very, what I love about life is that it's messy and complicated and um, we, but it's also wonderful. And, and I think that's what really shone through to me in the script is that there is, you know, it, it is at times very difficult and, and this character is self-destructive and makes them very uncomfortable. Uh, choices and decisions that can be difficult to watch, but she is fundamentally a warm, open, beautiful person, mm -hmm. and that, those are the stories that I'm, I'm, I'm drawn to. There is a, there is a there is a sense of humanity, there is a warmth to, to, to the to the film. I think that was that is there in the the, the that was very apparent in the, in the script, and mm -hmm. I hope is very apparent in the realization of that. And that's that's really what I'm drawn to. And, and and even though you can get that in different, you know, you can get different genres that are very hard. You know, even with Scouting Book or with Peaky Blinders or with 
uh, you know, with any project that I've done, I think there's, I hope that there's always a warmth mm -hmm. and a humanity to those characters that shines through. Mm -hmm. Is that the same for you? Because totally, I totally agree. <laughs> I don't find it different to the other material that I've worked with, even though it does seem different. You know, I've written the, that, the C word about somebody's breast cancer, I've written three girls about Rochdale. But in both of those, what made what made it possible to write and what really drew me was that first of all the warmth of Lisa Lynch and her voice and her chat and also going up to Rochdale meeting the girls and realising the kind of the Rochdale banter was very like the Glasgow banter and the way people dealt with life was just with a lot of humour and um, so no I, I don't feel that there's any difference in the, in the material even in terms of what draws me to material what I want to say about tone is that Wild Rose, when it was a script, was always kind of existing in somewhere on the spectrum between a kind of loach kitchen sink thing and a Billy Elliot, you know, thing. And I always wanted it to be more over here. I always wanted you to leave the cinema feeling amazing and uplifted mm. without being afraid to like go to dark places. But I didn't want dirty mattresses about, do you know what I mean? Any, any of that. So just all credit to Tom for basically finding a tone that could both leave you singing um, after you finish the film and also, you know, not, not shying away from some of the fucked up things that this character does. So that's what I'm sort of most hmm. pleased about because I don't think that's very easy. That's interesting that you knew you had that foresight at the, at the front. But, but um, Simon Beaufoy always says about when he wrote The Full Monty, he thought he was writing a social realist drama. And then it was quite surprised when audiences <laughs> responded. I could never have got there on my own. I could never have explained, truly explained, that yeah. that's my hope. Because I almost, because I almost haven't really seen it before. So that's... We, we, on the first day of shooting, actually, we, we had started shooting a scene and, it was all, and, and we were shooting a handheld, but we hadn't you know, conceived it as a handheld film or a, a thing, but it just happened to be. And, and, and after a few setups, Tom was like, there's something that's not right. You know, it's, it doesn't quite feel right to the script. We should, you know, just put it on a, a, on a dolly or a set, a set of legs. And suddenly the film, I really remember that moment because suddenly it, it was the film we were making. And it, felt, it just felt like we were trying to force something onto it, which is really interesting. I guess I've never heard you say that. That you never, I've never heard Nicole. I, I'm never normally invited onto these things. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it is really interesting hearing that it, you know it wasn't meant. It wasn't. I mean, to be honest, you're fucking up the mic. Yeah, no. Very conductive. Very conductive. I don't know what's going on. But uh, yeah, it was really interesting. And then suddenly, the, the, and it makes a it makes a huge difference just to the initial feel of what film you are trying to make. And we might have sort of, I might try and move it. Move it down here. But it is fascinating the difference between that and, and you know a lot of socially realistic films are are all handheld and it's all you know and, and it just this wasn't that film. Um, let's talk a little bit more about her character specifically, but also about the structure. What what changed um, as you went along and kind of who you know what what were the catalysts for that change? Start with you. I don't know if this is directly answering the question, but it's really nice to talk about Wild Rose from this distance because I'm just thinking about things a bit differently because it's been a wee while. Um, I think I wrote the character of Rosalind angrier. Okay. And I think I wrote the character of Susanna 
colder. And I think key to the colder, film, did you say? Yeah, colder. Yeah. I think key to the film's success, such as it's been, is that Rosalind's a lot warmer <laughs> and less angry than I wrote her, and Susanna's certainly a lot warmer. Mm -hmm. And again, these things that I had no control over. So um, I don't know if this was asking the question, but that character, Susanna, was a really difficult character to write because, um, well, for lots of reasons, but casting somebody with Sophie's warmth just helped me with so many problems that had been, I'd been toiling away with in the script for years. And, um, but when I first saw some of the Jesse scenes, I was like, gosh, I didn't imagine her to like hug Susanna at that point. Like, why isn't she screaming at her? And I was so, you get so, I don't know how you do what you do, thinking about a billion different things at once, because mm -hmm. I can only have one thing in my head, which is, is this truthful to the particular character that I'm obsessed with? And you sometimes, you can make the wrong, you can make the wrong call. I think it would be a very different film mm. if Rosen had been more angry, mm -hmm. even though in a social realist setting, someone in her situation would probably be boiling mm. with rage. So I feel like I've learned all these little things and I, I want to figure out how to apply them to the next thing and the next thing. But I don't know if you ever... Perhaps you, you ever could remake it. it and hand it over to Ken, <laughs> Ken Loach and no, see what no, happens. No, but, but do you know what I mean? It's like, it's such a relief when other people join you yeah. because then things that you really have nothing further to add mm -hmm. to suddenly become somebody else's problem and then they've got a different okay, way of yeah, looking yeah. at it. And bang, you've got Sofia Canedo there mm. and a whole other layer to the film. Okay, so tell us about what, what happens when you... So the, the script that you got hold of, did that feel more cold and angry or did you already see the humour in it? I mean, so lines like the... Oh, no, wait, it was very funny. Okay. <laughs> Just but, saying, the, but the bottle you could drink know, from the tap. She was more English snob, you know. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, she yeah. wasn't so adorable as Sophie is, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, but you got hold of it, and you know what happens then, and to what extent, you know, does it then change when it gets into the hands of George? I mean, you know, to sort of tell us the, the sort of sequence of how the film kind of builds up to become what we see in the end. Uh, it's a slow, it's a slow and continual change, evolution, I think, and that starts um, hopefully, although not always. It starts with. Um, me being folded into the conversations with Nicole and us working together. Um, and then on this film, which was really nice, and I try and do um, as much as possible, and actually most of the time now, I think, is bring the actors, the kind of the key actors on board at kind of a reasonably early stage. So with a view to uh, everyone being, by the time you get to the shoot, everyone's aligned. And so you've had all the conversations and you've worked it all through. And so everyone is more or less seeing the same, has the same vision. Um, so that you're not hopefully having those conversations that much on set. Inevitably, on the day, things will change and new ideas come up and both of and, and, and are there were there particular things on this that you actually did disagree on and kind of had to hammer out, either around the structure or around the characters? I find that hard to answer now because we've been through it all. I'm, like, I'm positive I, that there must have been some... what we disagreed on was, and, and actually this was a really valid thing to disagree on because it was a very difficult call to make is the question of likability like mm. how we needed to do two things we needed you to care enough about this character to keep watching in the first 15 minutes while also establishing establishing her as a total fuck up who'd rather go and shag her boyfriend in the middle of a park than go home and see her kids so 
that's a balancing act. So mm -hmm. we were always talking about how to, where to, you know, how to manage those two conflicting requirements. So I feel like we got it right, but there was a lot of tinkering, wasn't it, between yeah, all the way through the process because we yeah. had such contrasting feedback from so many different um, test audiences or like pals. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. And George, by the time you get involved, yeah. have all these discussions happened and everybody's all on the same track? Or is there still room to kind of manoeuvre? Um, yeah, I think it's all, it's all done. It's easy for me. I turn up. <laughs> you uh, just swoop hey. in. Uh, no, it's like... I think also uh, Jesse and, and Sophie bring so much to it that it was, it was, you know, that's, that, I always think that's the magic of, uh, I might be overstepping my mark here, but that's the magic of filmmaking is that when the actors brought, you read a script and you imagine it one way and, and you're, you know, I was, I was very much in the sort of uh, Ken Loach world and, the, and then when you, the cast come on board and then the film starts, you know, it's like, it's like, it takes on a life of its own and it becomes almost, my job becomes a process of, I always think of it like, um, well, I sort of stole this from Ken, uh, Walter Murch, but it's um, reduction. It's like it's like sculpting. It's, you have a block of marble that is the film, and it, it's it's got a life. And then it, it it sort of you just take bits away as a cameraman. You know, you 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 put this and you choose this lens, or or he tells me which lens to put on, and uh, <laughs> and you you know, and then in the film, yeah, and then we argue, and then we change it again back to my one, and then but but then. <laughs> But then it, it just sort of becomes, uh, it, it, its life starts growing exponentially from the, from the page, you know. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. I'm a terrible rambler. No, so. that's great. To, 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 uh, go back then to casting. When, when you were writing this, who did you have in mind? I mean, did you have someone in Not mind? Or you just? Had, she was definitely Ginger, and she definitely had a voice that does what Jessie's voice does. Uh -huh. I didn't know that that would be impossible to find. Um, <laughs> And there was plenty of looking, and then Tom arrived with Jess, with Jesse in his head, knowing that she could sing like that. So, basically, we had nothing mm -hmm. <laughs> because I didn't want to ever make this film with somebody who couldn't sing, and make you feel like that. It was pointless mm. to me because you had to feel it. And you know, I never made a film before. I didn't know that you, you know you couldn't find somebody mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. could act as well as they can sing and sing as well as they could act. So. Thank God you came with Jesse. And you'd already worked with, both of you had already worked with Jesse. Yeah, we had, we'd done one piece all together. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it's, it's funny, like, I think um, when you find people that you really connect with in this world in general, you, you try and keep, keep working with them and kind of hold on to them. And, and, and George is one of those people. Um, Jesse was certainly one of those people. Nicole is now one of those people. Um, <laughs> and, and you and that and with Jesse, that that was it. We, you know, immediately she has um, uh, she's so inspiring in her um, her attack, if you if that mm -hmm. makes any sense, in her in her in the risks that she takes and the way that she's prepared to push and. Um, herself and me and George and you know I think that immediately there was a dynamic on set that we that that we uh, pushed each other to do better work mm -hmm. um, and we I, I felt that we supported each other in, in doing that and that's a very much like you know it could be really uh, like what, what just out of interest what like is, are most people writers directors filmmakers is it a whole mix of people yeah mm -hmm. writers Lots of writers. Directors. 
producers. Okay, so anyone else? No. <laughs> there you go. Right, <laughs> yeah, so when you're on set, like there can be just a you can. There are certain times when it just becomes magical, and that's uh, about a communal. I think it's about a, a, a connection between people uh, working together at mm -hmm. their peak and. Uh, so say, uh, for it being a safe place for for people to. Um, to, to let go and take risks, yeah. I mean, and it's like, and, and from my part, that's sort of like to be ready, not to, you know, the, the, we tried, or, or you always try and have a set that's lit and you can, you know, you can sh you can go anywhere, especially on a film like this, you might want to, to you know, give the actor space and just like, but also be ready. So when, when it's on, it's on and you, and it's like turn over, let's go. Yeah, I always find, I always find, like, um, it's such a, strange dynamic on a film set because it looks like everyone's just sitting around chatting and having a cup of tea which they are but actually if it's working it's finely tuned to reading the energy at any given moment so that you can suddenly spring into a action or you can harness something or push something to or, or kind of sculpt something away or whatever it is and i think that's 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 why i immediately one of the reasons why i immediately love jesse because she she came, you know, because George and I and Marnie and we have a whole, we have a kind of a crew that we often work with, and people come in and add to that according to availability or you know whatever. Um, but but Jesse came in and it was immediately kind of keyed into that, and so uh, so I, basically I knew that I wanted to work with her her mm -hmm. again. Um, was there any point? I mean, Jesse, was this her? And there's a second feature at this point. I know she'd done TV, but this was her second feature. Yeah. Um, was there any? Did she have any kind of anxiety about uh, acting with the powerhouse oh. that's Julie Walters? Um, I, uh, that's a question for her, really. But uh, I, I think acting is such a, um, an exposing art form, anyway. Um, I, I think that Julie is such a wonderful, inclusive, um, kind, and generous actor that if she did have any anxieties about it, they were quickly calmed because mm -hmm. she's so, you know, she's so approachable as well. You know, Julie will be on set having a cup of tea and a biscuit um, rather than, you know, excluding herself in a trailer somewhere. And, and, and you know, like she's, she's so, she's just such a nice person. Mm. Um, and she's so prepared and she's so diligent and she's, you know, she's a real, not only a, a wonderful actress, but a, a real professional as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that uh, in terms of anxiety about acting, then I, I don't think I've met an actor that, that doesn't. Um, and I think that's something that all actors sh struggle with to varying degrees mm. throughout. Certainly, I know Jessie does, um, despite her being as brilliant as she is. Mm -hmm. And how um, rigid were you all about the script and keeping to it? I know you talked about the freedom of movement, but does that extend to kind of improving dialogue as the actors went on? Or... You know, did you did you all agree on the final script and then stick to it? Who <laughs> 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 really wrote it? Uh, you should ask both of us. Yeah. Uh, I think well, the way I see it is, is that we had this brilliant script that was um, the template and where we started. And I think that what's in the, up in the film is pretty much ninety eight percent of what you wrote. And I get, but I think it's always my feeling is is you want to create a space where where you prepare really carefully and you know exactly what you want to get, but then sometimes amazing things can happen and mm -hmm. you, need to be, you need to be open enough to, to let other things happen as well because 
because things change. But tell me, you wrote the tap comment. You could just drink tap water. Of course. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I agree with everything that Tom said, and I feel like my experience on Three Girls was, I hadn't, I've never written a play, so I haven't been up close to actors very often, but Philippa um, always likes to have her writers on set, so mm -hmm. I was on set a lot in Three Girls, and being that close to actors was amazing because I could see that I could get rid of so much dialogue and just, they can just do amazing things mm. because they know the character by that point even better than you. Mm -hmm. So I think it's good as a writer to be open to, to that, um, to the possibility of even better moments mm -hmm. sometimes, so agree. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and George, for you, do, I mean, I know you largely work with Tom, um, but so pr presuming you're very used to the kind of freeing environment, but is it, as a, as a DOP, is it actually much easier if somebody is kind of like, right, this is the script and this is what they're going to say and this is how they're going to do it? Or can you allow yourself to be freer than that? Uh, I, I find it strange when it isn't free. So, like, when you work with uh, normally, like, for instance, American directors are very much more... What I love about the process of how Tom works is the whole day is based around the actors. So the actors will come in, will block. Obviously, we have plans of various, th you know, think, uh, things set in stone with production, but mainly the actors will come in, will block, uh, will, you know, it will develop. They'll have quite a long blocking rehearsal and... Um, and then you know, and they feel confident in what in the choices they've made and things like that. A lot of time with, uh, in my experience, with uh, uh, some American directors, is they plonk the actor there, and the actor comes on set from the train, and they go, right, you're there, turn over. That's the shot, cut. Do three lines, cut. Next shot, over here. And I, I, I don't get That's that. That's very as a, efficient. I don't, it is very efficient, but it's it's... Uh, and you can get through stuff. I don't agree with it. It's not how I like making films. I like making films where the actors are involved, and and then you know, and they and 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 it develops. You know, sometimes, um, you know, they and 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 it also creates more movement. You know, mm -hmm. people get up and down and go over here and thing, or they stay there. Mm -hmm. But it's. It, I feel. I think it's. It's nice giving that choice to the actor mm. rather than just saying that's your spot and with a clip like the, like the one we just saw yeah. there's a very big scene where she goes behind the in front of the door in front of the door yeah the yeah window. kind of how does you know how how early on did you kind of get that design and and how forced mm. is it or how uh, i can't really remember i think might that might have been one of those things where they they got up and went to, we might have known they might have been going over there but we sort of just reacted to it. I can't really remember, actually, to be honest. I think we might have just reacted to it, and that's why there's a bit of, like me, you can probably see me going, oh, shit, uh, not, not that way, over here, you know, um, and, and trying to find them, and then you, you settle, but it's, it's exciting. Yeah, I love that shot, actually. There's a few shots in that corridor that, that I love. Uh, those, those, I mean, I, I love those moments when you just don't know what's going to happen. Like, there's a scene in the, the Grand Old Opry where Jesse's singing out Los Eight Mind, and it's her first time on stage, and... Yeah, we talked about it, we planned what we were going to do, done the th everything and had our little shot plan. And immediately she did it in front of an audience. She was like, whoa! <laughs> she was like, giant off the stage. She was like crowd surfing, thrusting in the middle of the room. And it was like, George was like running around trying to keep up the focus, but I was like, cables were unplugged. But he you knows that's the, that's the energy that you're just desperately trying to capture, that any sense of, of reality and truth, I suppose. That's, that's all we're trying to do is just capture that, that truth. Uh -huh. Um, actually, tell us about that, the going to America. Oh, actually, just before we do, uh, were you on set at any point? 
I was on set loads, yeah. And I didn't have any purpose, purpose, but I was just so happy it was getting made, I wanted to go. <laughs> I mean, I had no useful purpose, but I just enjoyed every second of it. It was amazing. And how, yeah, Especially okay. being there on that day at the Grand Ole Opry. I mean, the energy was, it was unbelievable. It was like, it was like the best sort of club night of your life because Jesse was just going for it in a way that you describe. So... Yeah, and, but was there ever a moment, not necessarily in the Opry mm. scenes, but kind of where you thought, ah, this wasn't what I, th this this wasn't what it was in my head, even if you felt it was better or what, you know? And um, there was um, a scene that made me cry when I was there on set, um, which wasn't at all because they as messed I it up so badly. Pardon? <laughs> well, no, that was nice. Um, no, no, there, when Rosalind finally kind of tells Susanna the truth about having children, um. I had imagined her to be in such a state and all her frustration would come out in just rage, mm -hmm. really against herself, not against Susanna. But because of the sort of particular sort of alchemy between Sophie and Jessie playing those roles, there was a genuine closeness between those two characters that had built up over the course of the film. So, what Jessie did was instinctive to her in the moment, which was give Susanna a hug, which was completely appropriate to the arc as shot. Mm -hmm. But in my head, you know, you can get very obsessional about a character and the truthfulness of a character when it's been in your head for that long. So my Rosalind was just too seething and sort of almost you practically tearing at her skin and self-loathing. But that wasn't, that wasn't the character as created mm. by... Jessie, do you know what I mean? So, and in the event, I was extremely moved seeing her do it the way that she did it um, on set. So there's always these wee things that surprise you. But I think I think I probably misrepresenting how chilled I am about improvisation, just to go back and just be honest for the other writers in the room. Like, I do like it when there's at least one of what you've written. So at least you could see <coughs> it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it's much better what they've done and I think that's if you're a director it's quite politic to do that because the reason why people have changed it is probably because it's shit so just show him or her the one mm. <laughs> and then they can be satisfied do you know what I mean so you know it always works for me I've never been like what the hell mm. yeah interesting um let's talk about music uh, which is obviously a huge part of this um, film. Did you, did, to what extent did you, had you lined up particular tracks? I mean, did you know? It, it, yeah, yeah? I, I wrote them in um, and we mostly went with them. At times, um, Jack Arnold, um, the music guru, he had a better idea for see, like, like the Grand Old Opry scene. We needed so much energy in that mm -hmm. scene. So there was a song that was better, there, you know, Jesse, was extremely musical. She had her own tastes as well. Mm -hmm. um, but where there's a scene that she's singing and expressing her um, repressed feelings through a country song, then I'd written that into the script, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we just were really lucky with being able to clear most of those. Okay. And um, did you ever get any resistance when you, presumably when you said to producers and financiers and so forth, this is what we're going to do, we're going to, she's suddenly going to see the band, or she's, you know, the band is going to appear in the room. Did you ever get any resistance to that? Because presumably this is pre-La, no, about the same time as La La Land, before, after? Certainly pre-Rocket Man, pre, you know, because lots of people have done it since. 
Um, no, not really. Actually, there was there was one other scene. Again, like those musical moments for Rosalind do often take on a bit of an expressionistic quality, mm -hmm. where we sink into a world. There's another one where she sings "Peace in the Towers" and and the sun comes out, and it's a sort of magical moment for her. Again, it's we sort of it goes beyond what's naturalistic and slightly into where the music takes her in mm -hmm. her mind, and. Um, and yeah, we had one of the finances had a bit of a moan about that. But, <laughs> but did you talk about specific references? Well, beforehand? Yeah, to kind of convince people that this was going to work. Uh, yes, yeah, I mean, not uh, actually visual references. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I presented some, you know, but I did present, you know, I, I presented a vision of how I saw the film mm -hmm. uh, looking beforehand to all the financiers. Um, but by that point, they they believed in the vision and, and you, you know the kind of the nuances of the day-to-day -day shoot mm. um, they allowed us to get on with and were very supportive in that and allowed us you know because again when you're taking take, you know similar to acting your dailies you're taking risk and you're constantly experimenting and you're you're shooting some things and then you're covering yourself in other ways and it's very difficult to know from the dailies how it's going how it's going to play and as long as you can show that you've kind of considered all the options i think they were good enough to to let us get, get on with it and and you know whatever you you know the one thing i think that we've discovered uh, is whenever it feels like you're taking being bold and taking risks and have lost your mind on set when you get back into the edit you've wished you'd gone further yeah. Um, yeah. so like i just my lesson to myself is just push yourself further than feels comfortable because it's never quite as far as you as you think it think it is, and and nobody's ever going to agree on everything. Mm. Um, so just make you know it's important to make a decision, to make a choice, and to go with your instincts. Mm -hmm. Which is a very good moment to open up for questions. Um, don't be shy. We don't have very long. Please ask anything you want. Question up here, and then behind you. You mentioned um, uh, a lot about the importance of, of capturing the the magic when it comes and. Uh, lighting broadly so that you can have your actors move around um, and then sort of running around uh, to try and keep up. Uh, I was just wondering, um, beyond lighting uh, that broadly, are there any circumstances you'd think about adding additional cameras to, for additional coverage or is there more of a desire to control what you're taking in? We shot this single camera and uh yeah, I mean, it, you know, it can be a blessing and a curse, uh, multiple cameras. Normally, two cameras, you can cross-shoot, you can use them to your advantage, you can... I mean, I quite like using it to get ready to the next setup, or, or just sometimes, you know, when you're shooting a, a, a coverage, it can give you the other angle that, that, can, be, uh, that can be useful. Past two cameras, I get, I, I get a slightly... Um, you know, it can, it can just, I've done, fil you know, you do fil films where you've got six cameras and it can just run out of control and you, you can't actually concentrate on all these things. But then it can work, you know, it depends what you're doing, action or, yeah. Does that answer your question? Or not? Yeah. Sure. yeah. Thank you. Um, well, thank you for Wild Rose. It's such a gorgeous film. Thank you for bringing it into the world. Um, my question maybe is really for Nicole, but, but maybe for all of you. Um, I'm aware you mentioned about 10 years at one point, and I know that obviously films can take an awfully long time from 
that you know the first idea being in a writer's head or you know just that script to screen process can have all these kind of highs and lows when it gets optioned or it falls out of option or someone's attached and then they're not attached and you or you're trying to find the right actor um, I wondered what advice you had for writers especially on sort of keeping the faith during that time and and sort of mental health and your your kind of emotional sort of keeping um, your enthusiasm up for your own project when when it must be really tough at times Oh, I'm so glad you asked me that, because driving here, all I could feel was just like, I can't believe this thing got made. I can't believe people have seen it. I can't believe I'm going to get to talk about it. And I still feel as passionate about it as I did when I first had the idea. And um, the main thing I would say is to stop yourself going mad. Just allow your career to progress in whatever direction it's progressing. So. Um, don't cut about being all being all auteurish about it. There's one thing I need to get made, and there's one thing that's really me, and all. Do you know what I mean? Just if someone's going to pay, if you're a writer and someone wants to pay you to write, I mean, especially working in television. I love working in television. You know, do it, enjoy it, learn stuff, make a living, meet so many people. You know, I'd like gone from being episode three person on undistinguished series from the beginning of this to like you know winning a couple of BAFTAs for three girls and actually you know slightly feeling like I had some purchase on on this craft and over that whole time all I cared about was country music <laughs> do you know what I mean and, and like I'm in love with country music still you know the sorry wild rose do you know what I mean so keep the obsession keep the obsession and it's going to break your heart multiple, multiple, multiple times. And you've got no control over anything. And it's awful. And at the end of it, you'll tell someone your saga of spending, of taking 10 years and this happened and you lost all the money and this happened. Nobody gives a shit because it's happened to everyone else as well. <laughs> so, but there's going to be that moment. There is going to be that moment where suddenly Tom Harper is going to read the script. <laughs> He's coming along with Jesse Buckley. Have you seen Jesse Buckley? Have you heard Jesse Buckley? You'll see her wee video of her singing. Suddenly, do you know what I mean? That touch paper is lit. So it's nothing but sorrow <laughs> <laughs> until that moment. And, and when that moment comes, it's just like, oh my God. And you know, this is so cheesy, but then you've just got to enjoy it as best you can. And I feel like I really like properly sucked the marrow out of this experience. I've been to every one of Jesse's gigs. I've schlepped about different film festivals watching it. And I think if you're not going to really be pleased about it, you know, not, not in a sort of saccharine way, but just I feel like it's a huge achievement to have got this made. I'm delighted by every person who watches it or emails me about it or, and just enjoy every single thing about that because it will come to you if you're that passionate about it. And if you can get somebody like Faye Ward on your side, just a producer who's a real doer and who will just stick with you through thick and thin, you know, it's going, it's going to happen. So, but in the meantime, don't be a dick and be like, oh, you know, this is, I'm an alter, this is all I'm prepared to do. You know, build your career in parallel to your passion thing. And Nicole's next career is a motivational speaker. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I wonder if you're as optimistic as that because you already had another career and then you moved into screenwriting. Yeah, I mean, I was 27 before I had yeah. ever opened Final Draft or even thought that I could be a screenwriter. I'd always written and always wanted to write. So, Certainly it helped that I was a miserable solicitor and never dreamed that I would ever get to do this for a living um, or even could do it. So that gave me whatever the opposite of a sense of entitlement is. And I think I still have that. I, I can't believe it. I can't mm -hmm. believe my luck. Um, that probably helps. Whereas, you know, I've said this so many times, but like, 
if I had grown up saying I want to be a writer, you just, it's like saying you want to be a model. It's like a ridiculous thing to want to do when you're 18, when you're 20, when you're 21, do you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? So I think that serves you well, I suppose, yes. in terms of being grateful about it. So want to be a vet first, and <laughs> then, yeah. Like. I, I don't know, I don't know. Okay. Uh, well, yes, another question here, and then a couple at the back. Hiya. Um, so I work in locations, um, and obviously Three Girls is quite a complex storyline. Some locations that I've approached before have actually turned around and went, I don't want to be involved because obviously it's quite a risky subject sort of thing. How do you get around that and obviously try and not give them too much, but yet a location owner does need to know what's, what they're getting involved in? Um, so it's basically to see... Do you, do you narrow your search down or do you go and try and hit as many locations as, as you prefer or that's basically it? Well, you, uh, I have to be entirely honest about it. Often it's the location manager that does the, for me, does a really good job in navigating that and not giving too much information up front, but just enough that it's not being dishonest, you know, particularly if it's a tricky subject, not being dis dishonest about it, but... Uh, and then picking the right moment to to give the the information that's that's necessary. I don't think that at any time we would want to deceive someone. And, and if if it is a sensitive area in general, people are very inquisitive anyway. But I think it's it's, it's really challenging, particularly if you've got something that's r really brutal or or difficult. Um, but at the same time, is for the most part, my experience has been, you probably know more than me, but for the most part, the people do understand that it's a, um, that if you're, if you're hopefully telling a story with, with um, integrity, that despite depicting um, difficult subject matter, there is a kind of, by telling a story that is, that's different from, from reality and that there is value in telling a story about something. I don't know, that's probably not necessarily answer your question, but... Um, the film has a really nice look to it and feel, and I just wondered what cameras and lenses you used for the um, for the film, and also did you do any specific tests to develop the look of it in terms of the approach that you used in pre-production? Um, thank you. Uh, we used red red cameras on it, um, which is f this couldn't get boring. Uh, a lot of people don't like them, and this I'd, I'd shot another film, and we had it as our rigging camera, and I and uh, and I there was something about the quality of it I really liked, and um, so when we came to do this, we I sort of said, oh, we should thing. I think we did shoot tests, a couple of tests, but the reason the like one of the reasons is it was it's a very tiny camera, and because we were in tiny sets, and I'm a big man. We need to, uh, you know, it just, it, everything helps. And so, uh, yeah, that was, that was sort of, uh, that was the sort of birth of it. And, I mean, the look-wise, we didn't want it to be, I don't want to uh, insult anyone, or whatever, but we didn't want it to be a British film. We wanted it to have a flavour of, um, I didn't want it to be, and Tom didn't want it to be desaturated and that sort of, that sort of thing that you can do. You, you know, the, the estate in which, um, on on which she lives can you know it's it's sort of an easy route to just go desaturate green you know cold Scotland cold grey and we didn't really want to do that we wanted to have a sort of hint of Americana and something that just sort of flows through so going into night interiors and things like that we we went warmer instead of green so exteriors we we used warmer light 
um, and hopefully subtly. And th and you just you know you sort of uh, oh oh yeah anamorphics yeah. So we again yeah we shot anamorphic lenses, which always helps make it feel like a movie rather than a sort of cleaner and more. It's a bit bendy and a bit uh, less reliable, and it sort of. It helps in those in those uh, small locations. You know, you can still make it feel cinematic. I think, and uh, uh, and also the colorist. Actually, we he's a sort of long term term collaborator, and so it really helps when you shoot a film, and then you can you can grade it, and then sort of grade it again with with eye to some. You know, to to you know uh, to create more difference and more color contrast and things like that rather than just contrast it's you know it was we use color to to create contrast as well as you know lighter or darker to just add to that we also we took quite a lot of um, sort of because obviously the key to the story is the the desire to get to america mm. um, um and where where she believes her life will make more sense. We looked at a lot of um, sort of classic Americana photographs and actually weirdly found that there was quite a lot comparable to 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 Glasgow. Yeah. yeah. And quite a lot of crossover, like a lot of that kind of chestnut panelling and the, the carpet and the textures of the fabrics was, was was amazingly similar. But we took that and applied that to the mm -hmm. to the vision. Uh, question there. Uh, Mike right behind you. Hi, uh, I'd like to ask about the use of um, perform music performance because you were quite sparing in the number of songs that she sings. And when I saw the video afterwards for Country Girl, I was so blown away by that and indeed listened to the soundtrack and her covered in regret. I just wondered if you ever thought about actually having more of a sense of performance at the end. I guess I thought about the music just purely in service to the character and whatever she was feeling at any one time. So um, I guess I just applied it as and when I felt that that was the means of expression that she would use. Um, but you know, some of those songs on the soundtrack are kind of sneakily away in the background during the film. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm actually with you. I, I, I wish we had been able to use more in a way, but of course she only starts, she's only able to start writing by the end of her, yeah. by the end of the movie, so it would sort of feel premature. Yeah, we had to give those songs to other people, like backing bands and sort of miscellaneous people in the Nashville sequence. Yeah. What Rose too? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, which is an extremely good note to end on, I think. I'm so sorry that we've run out of time. I really appreciate you all turning out. It's, it's almost exactly a year since you premiered the film, and it's had a real rollercoaster ride. Uh, just tell me, just before you go, at which point did you know it was going to hit audiences in the way that it has done? Because it's so beloved. You know, when people see it, they love it. Ha ha when did you know that you had a kind of hit on your hands? <laughs> Do you know, the, the what I find one of the, the major problems I have with life in general, is that I never quite know when to celebrate. I'm like sort of I'm very optimistic about people and life in general, but very pessimistic about like when it's all going to go wrong. <laughs> and uh, you know, like you never, you, when it comes together and you, you, you sign up to a project, you have to wait for it to get greenlit. When you wait for it to get greenlit, you're waiting for it, that is dependent on cast, and then there's dates, and then it could all fall through, and at no point is it ever a time to celebrate, and that's... And that's a shame, really. You should, you should do exactly as Nicole said, which is like just relish every moment. But instead of relishing every moment, I'm always like, oh, God, when is it going to go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, now would be a good moment. Yeah. So, OK, so thank you so much, Nicole, Tom.
Thanks for joining us and remember, you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org.